But I believe the main reason he came to the other side was for this man right here. This man needed help. People tried their best and they tried many things to help this man. And it was to no avail. So Jesus, in his compassion, knew where this man was. And not many people went to this other side. This was not the area that you would go. But Jesus goes, and look at what he finds when he gets there. It's amazing he told the disciples that he was going to get to the other side, right? Well, we look at chapter 5, verse number 1. And they came over to the other side of the sea. So what happened, just like Jesus said it would, into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately, as soon as he gets off the ship, there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. This man is a mess. This man needed help. This man, we don't know if he had a family that he left behind. We don't know how he got to this point in his life. But what we know about this man is he lives among the tombs. How many of you would like to spend the night at the cemetery? Anybody? Not many of us. And cemeteries were a little different in those days than today, and we'll talk about that here in a minute. He's living in the cemetery. Night and day, he's screaming and crying out. Everyone in town knew who this guy was. He's naked. He's got a lot of issues going on. He's crying out night and day, and he's cutting himself. This guy has quite the story behind him. We keep on reading, it says, But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him, and cried with a loud voice and said, this is the demons inside of him, the demon inside of him speaking, what have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high God? Do you see how even the demons know that Jesus is God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, what is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. This man had many demons inside of him. I will tell you more about that in a few minutes. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there was there nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And some people will look at this passage and be like, Well, the Jews shouldn't have had pigs right here. This is a Gentile area. That's why there are pigs right here, okay? So make sure you understand that when you look at this. So this was not, this was on the other side. The Jews didn't like the Gentiles. The Gentiles did things differently than the Jews. So they had pigs in this area. And so look what it says here. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter into them. Deviled ham, huh? Right? One person laughed at that. I got one more dry sense of humor joke in a little bit. Thank you for making my day at least laughing a little bit, okay? <laughs> Stephanie, you might be outspoken at other times, but just laughing at that made my morning. And so there'll be one more coming, one more dry sense of humor comment. If you guys just had a good sense of humor, you would have laughed at that too. But anyways, 
They keep on going. It says, And forthwith Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. There were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and the country, and they went out to see what it was that was done. And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed of this man that's running around the tombs naked, this man that's crying out night and day, this man who is uh, cutting himself. They see this man next to Jesus, and it says, and they see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. They were afraid of Jesus. You know, they didn't care for this guy and all the things, and they were scared of him, but they were more scared of Jesus seeing what he did to this man. Kind of like the disciples last week. Remember, he calmed the storm, and the disciples were more fearful of Jesus after seeing what he had done. Now look at what these people say. Look at verse 16. And they that saw it told them how it befell to him, and it was possessed with the devils and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coast. Jesus we don't want you here. Would you please leave? Think about that for a minute. He just fixed the biggest problem they had. We don't want you here. Leave. Look at the next verse. And when he was coming to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil, devil prayed him that he might be with him. Jesus is leaving. That's how Jesus is. If you don't want him, he's not going to stick around. He gets back on the ship, he's, going, he's leaving. The man who'd been possessed with the devil wanted to go, I, let me be with you. Look at Jesus' response. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but said unto him, go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him. And all men did marvel. Father, bless the next few minutes that we have here this morning. Pray that you would guide us, help our thoughts this morning. Help us to focus in. Remove the distractions. Help us be able to get, there's so much here this morning. Help us get what you have for us. We need you. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We've seen, if you notice, Mark, things move quickly. We noticed the last bunch of things it was like you had the Pharisees attacking Jesus, the scribes were attacking Jesus, his family was attacking him, he had a sequence of those things. Now we go to a sequence of impossible situations that take place. The first one being the storm. The disciples thought they were going to die. How are they going to get out of this storm? It was helpless and a hopeless situation for them. And yet we see that Jesus is the master of the storm. We see another hopeless and helpless situation today in this man that's possessed by these devils. And yet we see that Jesus is the master of all. All demons, everyone. We can also look in, Lord willing, next week, we'll see the woman who was sick with a disease. And she was in a hopeless spot. And she just hoped that someone could heal her. And Jesus is the master over disease. The following week, Lord willing will be where this, this girl dies. That's kind of a hopeless situation, right? And hopeless, and we see that Jesus is the master even over death. 
So in this sequence, as we go through here, we discover that Jesus demonstrates his power over everything for us to see and for the disciples and those that were there with him. Today we take a trip to a cemetery. Today we focus in on a man that society could not help. They tried. Everything, humanly speaking, they tried to help this man. They tried, you know, and they tried to help. You see a man cutting himself, screaming, what did they try to do? They tried to tie him down. They put fetters. Those fetters would have been chains on his feet. They tried to tie him down, but he broke out of those. Humanly speaking, they did what they could to try and help him, but this man needed something more. Just like our world today. Our world is a mess today. Turn on the news and look at the wickedness and the craziness of our world today. Our world is in need of something. Not a stimulus check. Not more government rules. Not critical race theory in schools. And I could go on our list of lots of things here. What this world needs is Jesus Christ. He is the answer to all of our problems. America's not the answer to all the problems in our world today. Jesus Christ is the answer. Fixing global warming is not going to fix everything in this world. Jesus Christ is the answer. Now, as we look here today at this man, I want to break it down for you and give you some helps today. But I want you to consider some thoughts this morning. Number one, I want you to consider the man. The man in this passage. I want you to consider this man. We read these verses just a minute ago. That Jesus crosses the water with the disciples. And immediately when he gets to land, there's a man with an unclean spirit. He was dwelling in the tombs. This man could not be bound. He's naked. He's screaming. He's cutting himself. I want you to think about this man for a few minutes. As we consider the man this morning, letter A, I want you to think about the man's defilement. Verse number 2 tells us when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. As this passage opens up, we see a man deep in the grip of Satan. Satan's the master of his life, and he's in a hopeless, helpless spot in his life. And we're told that he has an unclean spirit. Come to find out his name is Legion. A Roman legion, an army, a legion Roman army, could be anywhere from 2,000 to 6,000 soldiers. This man literally had inside of him anywhere from 2,000 to 6,000 demons inside of him. This man is messed up, putting it mildly. This man is defiled. And in verse 13, we're told that the demons leave this man and they enter into 2,000 swine. Think about that. 2,000 swine take the devils that one man possessed. This man is defiled. He is well within Satan's grip. This man was completely under the control of these demons. But I want you to understand something today. This man's defilement is no different than every other man or woman that comes into this world. And maybe you don't have 2,000 devils inside of you. 
But when we enter into this world, we enter this world defiled. The Bible tells in Ephesians 2, verse number 1, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past, this is us before salvation, ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the heart and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. As we look at this today, no man is different. We all enter this world defiled. I don't have to teach my kids how to be selfish. It's natural. I don't have to teach my kids to disobey. They just naturally do it. Isn't it interesting? I have to teach them how to obey. I have to teach them how to share. Because the natural tendency in all of us is bad. That's how it is. And so we look at this man, we see these devils that he had, and the Bible tells us in uh, John 8, 44, ye have, you're of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is the father, for he is a liar and the father of it. We're in, a we're in an awful spot before salvation. And just as we look at this man and we see his defilement, that's how every man that enters this world, or woman, that's how we begin. We have the same defilement that this guy does. And maybe not so many demons, or maybe some do, but whatever the case may be. This guy's in an awful shape, but that's how our world is today. As we consider this man, we see the man's defilement, letter B, we see, and what did my notes just do? I went to a different sermon. That's funny. How does that happen? Letter B, put letter B up there. We see the man's depravity. Now let's hope I can pull my notes back up. If my notes don't come back up, you think you're going to get done sooner? No, I'm just going to have to think longer and harder and keep you here till three. We see the man's depravity. Two words we see here about this man. Cemeteries and chains. This man dwelt among the dead. The demons drove him away from the living, and he spent his life in a cemetery. Now, we think about this, okay? Don't think of a cemetery today. Cemetery today, people are buried in the ground, and there's tombstones and things of that nature. In those days, that's not how it worked. They buried people in caves. So literally, this man was living around the decaying, rotting bodies. That's literally what's going on. So we don't think about those things. We think about a cemetery today, and this guy's just hanging out at the cemetery. No, he's living among the dead. He's away from all living things. Because of the demons this man lived with, Bones and decaying corpses that are dead. We're told that people did their best to try and restrain him. They would catch him, bind him, but he would just break them free. These demons, there was some power there. When we look at this poor soul, it's hard not to look around at our world around us. Sometimes we look, why don't people do what's right? Why don't people live for God? They can't because they're dead. 
if you don't know Christ as your Savior, you are spiritually dead. And this man lived around dead things. Why we look at we think about the depravity of man. Look at you look at this passage. We think about this man and what he was doing. But that's how everyone is aside from Christ. That's the shape. That's the boat that we're on, doing those same things. They're trapped in the same state of depravity as this man. The sin that possesses the heart of a lost sinner drives him to waste his time on dead things that add up to nothing. The lost sinner has no desire for the living things of God. Death and the works of deadness are all they care about. And man tries its best to conquer and cure all problems that plague humanity. We try jails, prisons, institutions, asylums. We push pills, potions, psychology. To answer men's dilemma. And in some places, there are needs for those things. I'm not saying that there's not. But the answer to man's problem is changing the heart. We hear it all the time. Gun control, gun control, gun control. And you can be on whatever side of the gun debate you want to be. I'm a, I'm a Second Amendment guy, just so you know, that's me. And if you're not, God bless you, and you're free to do whatever you want. I have never seen a gun shoot somebody. Someone always pulls the trigger. I lived in Chicago for four years, and you could turn on the news later on this evening, and probably in Chicago there will be between 40 and 50 people that have were shot to death this weekend alone. Every weekend it happens. And they have some of the strictest gun laws in the country, in Chicago. Rules don't fix things, because the ones who abide by the rules will do right, and then those that don't will find a way to still do what they're going to do. Because the problem is not the gun. The problem is the heart. The heart's the problem. The Old Testament, over and over again, God gave the children of Israel chance after chance after chance after chance. And finally, the, the prophets, the major prophets, in closing out the Old Testament, God says, I'm going to give you a new heart. Because that's the only hope that you have. The answer to man's problems today is Jesus Christ. The problem is this world loves the darkness that it's in. John 3, verse 19, Jesus said these words. And this is the condemnation. The light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Lost people choose sin over the Savior all the time. You know why? Because they are bound to their sin. If you're here on Sunday nights, we're going through the book of Romans. When, when Christ died on the cross, we died to sin. Yet many Christians live their Christian life bound to sin, still even though Christ set us free. 
this world is bound to sin. There's nothing they can do. They're depraved. But it doesn't have to be that way for the Christian. We talk more about that later on. But as we consider this man, we think about his defilement. We think about his depravity. And then let her see, we think about um, this man's desperation. In verse 5, can you imagine the terror that this man caused? He's up there in that cemetery. He's naked. He's running around like a wild man night and day. He's cutting himself. He's covered with blood, screaming. He was causing quite the stir in this city. I did a, with being a chaplain for the city, I did a ride-along on Friday. Earlier in the day, there was a call, and this was the call, down by Schaefer and Central. They said, there's a man that came into our store, and he's wearing a swimsuit, and he's got a, um, he had a one-piece swimsuit on, and a, um, and a blanket over his head. And he was causing trouble. So we went to try and find him. Couldn't find him. He was pretty good. And you think you could know someone in a one-piece swimsuit, a guy in a one-piece swimsuit anyways. So a little bit later, someone else calls in. This guy just came into our store. He's wearing a one-piece swimsuit and a blanket over his head. Well, to say four or five hours go by, and he went from Central and Schaefer all the way to the Taco Bell area of uh, Central right by the 60. And he just wreaked havoc on different stores as he went through and finally found him. That man was probably mild compared to this man right here. Yeah, even if it was a swimsuit, and there's some things you just cannot unsee. So, anyways, now I've got to get focus back, Brian, focus back. Why did this man cut himself? Was he trying to relieve the pain the demons were causing inside, or were the demons causing him to cut himself? I can't answer that for you. It's one or the other. Why was this man screaming from the torment that these demons were giving him? This man was desperate. Did he maybe go live alone in the tomb so he didn't hurt anybody else? I don't know. But there was nothing for this man. He was probably desperate to be freed of these things. This man's condition is awful. It's horrible. But we see it in our world today. People need Jesus. I want you for a few minutes as we just talked about if we considered the man. Now, number two, I want you to consider the master. Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the compassionate one. Verse six says, but when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshiped him and cried with a loud voice and said, what have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. And there was there nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding, and all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave. And unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. There were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that was done. 
As we consider the master, letter A, I want you to think about the master's compassion. Everyone feared this man in the city. This is the guy that you wanted to avoid. This is the guy you didn't want anything to do with. This is the guy you would hide your children from. This is the guy that was beyond getting help and you would not mess with him. Jesus Christ did not avoid this man. He left helping a bunch of people on the other side of the sea to get on the boat to go find this man and to help this man. You see, he made a special trip just for this man to deliver him from the grip of Satan. Everyone else feared. Everyone else avoided. They even probably despised this man. But Jesus had compassion on him. Jesus cared about the condition that this man was in. And he was moved to do something about it. This man wasn't even a Jew. He was a Gentile. And still, Jesus had compassion on him where he was. Do you have compassion today? Yesterday, our, um, our kids were playing. They're in a basketball league at Lighthouse Baptist in Laverne. So with different ages, David played at 9.30, and William's game wasn't until 11.45. So I had about an hour and a half break. And then we had the meeting last night, so I had to get my exercise done to keep up this figure. you got to keep running. That's what you got to do. And so and ran five miles yesterday around the Fairplex and all those things. And I finally got to the spot where I was done running. And after five miles in the heat, I was tired, exhausted, and I turned the corner right here, and there's a man standing right there. This is the edge of Pomona and Laverne, and I knew for a fact he's going to ask me for something. And I'm like, so he's like, hey, and do you know what my first thought was? I'll just ignore him and keep walking. I know, am I the only sinner in the room that would actually think about doing that? But the Holy Spirit's like, talk to him. He just wants money. So I said, hi. He said, um, I need money. So I figured. He said, I'm trying to get to the bus stop. Could you give me some cash? But I don't have any cash. And, and I don't lie. If I had cash, I'd tell him I had cash, but I don't give people cash. He's like, well, could you at least get, there was a little station we're walking by. He's like, could you at least give me a drink? I said, depends on what you want to drink. Now, if you want alcohol, no, I'm not going to buy him alcohol. He's like, Powerade. Sure, I'll buy you a Powerade. So I buy him a Powerade, and I'm still about a half mile. I've got about 20 minutes till the kid's game starts. And I just said, all right, have a good day. And I started walking. And the Lord's like, Brian, you need to talk to him. Tired. I just want to go to the game. Start talking to the guy. His wife just kicked him out of their house ten minutes before that. He's walking to the bus stop to try and get a ride to his mom's house in Pasadena. He broke down. He's crying. He's a mess. And what I do for about twenty minutes and just talk to him about Jesus. He got saved. But the callousness sometimes in our hearts would say, oh, he doesn't need anything. He just wants my money. And sometimes the Lord puts his people in our path so that we can help encourage them. 
we can't lose the compassion for others. You know, one of the hard things for me as I'm a, as I'm a chaplain for the city and I do ride-alongs is as they arrest people and seeing the heartache in those people. There's a lot of compassion there. And a lot of times they do dumb things. Just dumb. Straight dumb. And completely dumb. It's like so, and they give themselves away the things that they do, but people are blinded. And people need people to have some compassion on them. The problem that we have today, and one of the reasons why we lack the compassion that we should have, and you've got to think about this, Jesus loves us in spite of who we are. In spite of what we've done, he comes to where we are, he saves us, gets a hold of us. The, this is how Jesus has compassion, something that will help us. Jesus sees people differently than we do. Don't miss this. We see people in their sin and their stupidity. He sees them in what he can do in that life. We see a drunk, he sees a deacon. We see a drug addict, he sees a preacher. We see a harlot, he sees a choir member. It would do us good to get our eyes more like Jesus. Because you give Jesus a crab apple, he can give you a honey crisp. You give Jesus a thorn, he can make it into a rose. You give Jesus an acorn, he can make it into a mighty oak tree. You can give Jesus a Jacob, a schemer, a liar, a deceiver, and he'll give you back an Israel, a prince with God. You give Jesus a Simon, the cursing fisherman, and he'll give you Simon Peter, a mighty preacher. You give Jesus your Saul, the persecutor of the church, and he'll bring you back Paul, the missionary that got the gospel around the world. You give yourself to Jesus and you'll be amazed what he can do because Jesus doesn't see us like we see others. He sees what he could do if we would just let him. We need that compassion. We see as we consider the master Think about the master's compassion, letter B. We see the master's confrontation. This man who ran from everybody else doesn't run from Jesus, does he? He falls down at the feet of Jesus. The demons that drove this man from all human relationships drove him to the feet of Jesus. Why? They were not worshiping him as Lord. They were recognizing deity before them. They were falling down and acknowledging that. They bowed in subjection to the Lord of all. You notice when Jesus confronts the demons, ordering them to release this man, the demons acknowledge his authority and they beg him not to torment him. Don't send us to hell. That's what the demons are asking for. The demons then request that they might be allowed to enter into a herd of swine that was feeding nearby. Jesus gives them permission. They leave the body of the man. They enter the swine. And when they do, the swine couldn't tolerate the demons and kill themselves and commit suicide. Yeah, I thought that would get suicide. Good. Come on. You guys are a rough crowd today. Suicide. Man, you guys need... 
Skylar, you don't have a sense of humor. That's your problem. So that was that was pretty good. I worked a long time on Suey's side. That was that was anyways, man. Uh, I tell you, I try, I try. I liked you earlier. And all in one minute, it could just change so quick. I just, I'm going to have compassion on you right now. Just remember, what I see is not what Jesus sees. And we'll just leave that alone right there. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just teasing you. But in this confrontation, as we look here, there's some things that it teaches us. The first thing it teaches us is that all spirits are subject to Jesus. They recognized his authority. They must have his permission to do the things they do. And you might look today and think the devil's winning. He's not winning. God wins. And praise God for that. This passage also teaches us that man is the most deprived creature in nature. The fact that this man could handle 6,000 demons. And yet 2,000 swine... If you take 6,000 divided by 2,000, that equals 3. Each swine had only 3 in it at the most. And the swine couldn't handle it. It shows how wicked man can be. And we see that in this passage. And we see the confrontation, but then we also see the master's command in verse 13. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave, and unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down to a steep place into the sea. And there were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. Every effort of man had failed this poor soul. Everything he had tried to retain a grip on his own sanity had proven useless. Yet by one word, Jesus set him free. That's what salvation's all about. Man can try his religious works, but they'll fail to save, because for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You see, this man could try many things. Our world today, the answer for our world is a changed heart that comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's only one solution for sin today. There's only one solution for the wickedness in our world today. His name is Jesus. There's only one hope for the fallen soul. His name's Jesus. There's only one hope for those who are trapped in the life of sin, and his name is Jesus Christ. He's the way, the truth, the life, and no man comes unto the Father but by him. We've taken some time this morning to consider the man. We've taken some time to consider the master. I want to take a little bit of time this morning and consider the miracle that takes place. I want you to consider the miracle that takes place As we get ready to close this morning, we look down at verse number 14. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that was done. And they come to Jesus and they see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, not his left one, those lefties in here. And they were afraid. And they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coast. And when he was coming to the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with them, with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but sent him go 
home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee, and he and had all and hath had compassion on me. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus hath done for him, and all the pe- all the men did marvel. We've considered the man. We've considered the master. Let's look at this miracle for a minute. The first thing we see, letter A, is that he was changed by Jesus. This man that society could not help was changed by Jesus. You go from being naked, running and sleeping in the tombs, cutting yourself, crying out loud, to this man sitting, clothed, and in his right mind. Jesus changed this man. When we think about this fact that he was changed by Jesus, we think about just these few little thoughts here that Jesus changed him. What a change, what a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. Jesus changed this man. Jesus is the answer for our world today. The second thing that we see is not only did Jesus change him, but Jesus clothed him. Isn't that a good thing? It's a wonderful thing in this passage right here. And it's amazing. This is how it works. The transformation takes place on the inside, and it takes effect on the outside. So many times in Christianity, we get so focused on the externals. When the internal is right, the externals will follow. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Long before someone's externals go bad, their heart could be bad for a while. And so Jesus clothed him, and praise God for that. And then we see that Jesus not only changed him, clothed him, but Jesus calmed him. He did what no one else could do. No psychiatrist could do this for this man. No pill did it for this man. Jesus did it for this man. What a picture of a changed life that salvation brings to the converted sinner. Jesus made a new creature out of this man. So as we consider the miracle, we think about the fact that Jesus changed him, but he was committed also, letter B, to Jesus. We read here a minute ago, Jesus does something for this this area that was the best thing that could ever happen. This man that had been tormenting this whole area for a while, he heals this man, and the people of the city are like, you please leave we don't want you here that's crazy to me the man who healed and did so much but like i mentioned last week with the disciples they were more fearful after the storm when they saw him than they were from the storm whoa and people see this man sitting there and they're scared of jesus you know you can you can leave But we see that this man who was filled with the devil, he was committed to Jesus. In fact, Jesus gets on the boat to leave, and the man's like, I want to go with you. Jesus changed his life. That's why I don't understand someone who claims to get saved, and then they don't want anything to do with Jesus, his people, or his book. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. You get saved, and you get to know who Jesus is. You're going to want to be in his house. You're going to want to be in his word. You're going to want to be around his people. You're going to want those things. He was committed to Jesus. And then we see, letter C, not only was he committed, but he was commissioned for Jesus. Look at what Jesus tells him in verse 19 and 20. 
Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee, and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him. And all men did marvel. Jesus refused this man's request to let him go along with him. Jesus sent him back home. Decapolis means the ten cities. He preached the gospel to those who would listen to him. And what Can you picture the scene? This man's coming back home to his home area. Oh no, here he comes. Oh wait, there's something different about him. Oh, he might still have the scars from all the cutting. But there's something different about this guy. Hey, what happened to you? Oh, I met a man by those tombs. He came, he came across the sea. His name's Jesus. He changed my life. And he could change your life as well. That's what this man did. I want you to understand something. That's the same thing we're commanded to do today. We're supposed to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We're supposed to teaching them to observe all things. And as the scripture tells, the great commission. We're supposed to go to this lost world. And as Jesus told him here, we need to tell them how great things the Lord hath done for us. Now he had compassion on us. And share that with others around us. Hey, Christian, when's the last time you told someone about Jesus and what he's done in your life? It gets quiet when we start talking about that. The Bible says, therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Correct? That's correct. So let's be honest here this morning, okay? Are we ready to be honest? How many of you would say that it is a good thing... And something that God wants you to do to tell others about the gospel and what God's done in your life. God, that's a good thing to do. Would you raise your hand? Every hand should be up. Okay, I think every hand was. Last service, some people didn't want to raise their hands. I don't know why. I think they just, their armpits, they forgot deodorant. I don't know what happened. And so I made them, I wait till everyone raised their hand because everyone knows. And the secret is, if you don't wear deodorant, you got someone sitting right next to you, raise the opposite arm and just do it enough so it's still up and you still can keep that covered up because there's nothing like you know armpits are kind of like opinions sometimes they smell good and sometimes they stink but anyways we all know that we should be sharing the gospel it is sin in our lives when we don't because we know better so let me ask you this morning when's the last time you told someone about jesus Pastor, I don't remember. That's sin. Because you know better. Each and every one of us knows better. So what should I do? Get a gospel track and tell someone today. I got a great idea. This has been my prayer lately. And I know as I talked about that man yesterday, my prayer in the morning is this. Lord, Lead me to someone. It's a great prayer. But what if God doesn't lead anyone? Then go out and find someone. We've seen the man and the state he was in. We've seen the compassion and love that our Savior has. And we've seen the miracle here. 
But knowledge without application means nothing. So I want to give you a few thoughts, some application of how you can apply this message to your life. Number one, remember this passage when you give your testimony. I think as you witness and share the gospel with others, I think one of the most powerful things in all the world is the testimony that God's given you. This is where I was, and this is what the Lord did for me. I think Paul did that, didn't he? Well, he did that several times, didn't he? Your testimony, it's a powerful thing. And there's kind of a great setup here. You see how this man went from destruction to deliverance to deployment, the three Ds. We all, yesterday as I was talking to that man, as I mentioned, told him I was a six-year-old boy, and I might not have been in any deep, dark, gross sin as a six-year-old boy, but I was bound to hell as a six-year-old boy. I was dead in my sin, just like anyone else. I was bound to hell as a six-year-old boy, dead to the things of God. And in a Sunday school class, the Holy Spirit of God convicted a dead man's spirit. Think about that one. I'll give you some thoughts there. Convicted me of my need for salvation. How can a dead man get convicted? How can a dead man have faith? How can a dead man receive grace? They're gifts from God. That's why it's all about him and what he's done and nothing that we've done. That's why people say, well, I'm the one who prayed the prayer. You're a dead man. You couldn't even get where you got to without the Lord being gracious to you and giving you the faith that you need. It's, his, it's not your faith. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. They're gifts that God, that God gives to us. And I shared that with that man yesterday, and the Lord changed my life as a six-year-old boy. Don't change anybody's life. Remember this passage when you give your testimony. Number two, God can accomplish much through one person wholly devoted to him. D.L. Moody often said, the world has yet to see what God will do with and for and through and in the man who is fully consecrated to him. Did you know later on, and we'll get there whenever we get through the rest of Mark, at some point we'll get there. Do you know Jesus returns to this area, to Decapolis, and there's a huge group of people waiting for him? How was there a group of people waiting for him? There's only one explanation. The man that God got out of the tombs and saved went and told everyone there's this man named Jesus. There was no internet. There was no television. There was no Facebook or Instagram. That man went back to his city and told people what Jesus did for him. And when Jesus came, there was a group of people waiting to see Jesus because of what Jesus did in that man's life. Pretty powerful right there. For many years, Decapolis was a pretty good Christian town. There was a lot of Christians there. I believe it all started with this one man that got saved. Thirdly, intentionally spend time with lost people this summer. Now you say, Pastor, you want me, you want me to fellowship with Christians? Yes, I do. And I'm not telling you to go to the bar with your buddies. That's not what I'm saying right here. And I think you know I'm not saying that. 
But how are you going to share the gospel? You need people that are lost to share the gospel with. Go out of your way. Stop by a park. Go a yellow park right down the road. There's people there all the time. Find someone to share the gospel with. During your break at work, talk to your coworkers. What are they going to think about me? Do you, do you really care what they think? Well, probably the pro- this is the problem. You want to be able to live your life and live like the devil during the week, and you don't want your coworkers to know you're a Christian. So maybe you don't want to tell them that you're a Christian. No, they should know you're a Christian, but they should have already known there's something different about you by the way you act at work anyways. But that's a whole other sermon, and I don't want to get into all that this morning. But intentionally reach out to the lost. Jesus purposely went to the other side for this man. Number four, don't play around with sin. Don't play around with sin. Satan does his most sinister work in secret ways. By, as the scripture says, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Just because something looks good or even feels good doesn't mean that it is good. Satan wants to destroy you, your family, and the list could go on. Bible tells in John 10.10, the thief cometh not but to steal and to kill and to destroy. We don't know all the background of this man, but this man could have had a family, and he lost his family. This man definitely lost his decency. This man lost his self-control. He lost his friends. He lost everything he had and was living in the tombs. You know, what did he do to get to that point? There was a lot of demons in him. Don't mess with sin. We don't know what opened him up or what led to the bondage he was in. But there had to be some major things that led to the bondage he was in. The typical person's not filled with 2,000 to 6,000 demons. Without Christ, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. And And some could have some demons, whatever the case may be. But to have that many... That guy was really messing with things he shouldn't have been messing with. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 5.22, His own iniquity shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sins. That old saying, sin will take you farther than you plan to go, keep you longer than you're planning to stay, and cost you more than you're planning to pay. And Jesus said in John 8.34, Whosoever committeth sin... What it says there is the servant of sin. And Christian, be careful. Don't play around with sin. Don't mess around with sin. Young people, don't mess around with sin. You're here on Sunday nights. We're going through the book of Romans. And we talk about the fact that when Jesus died on the cross, we died with him. Isn't that what the Bible says? That's what it says. If you're here on Sunday nights, you would know that. So that's a good plug for a Sunday night message right there, right? Yeah, come Sunday nights. There's good stuff on Sunday nights, too. Why do, so, why do so many Christians live in bondage to sin? Because we like to sin. We commit sin. We're the servant of sin. But sin does not have to have dominion over you. You're supposed to reckon yourself. And 
go back and listen to my Sunday night messages. But be careful. Don't play around with sin. Young people, listen to your parents when they tell you, don't do these things, don't do that, don't do this, because they've been down that road and they don't want you to mess up in some of the areas they have. And then you got to understand, sin is no small thing. The more you play around with it, the more in bondage you are to it. And number five, today is your day for deliverance. No one could help this man, and he couldn't help himself either. Jesus gave him freedom from where he was at. What's it going to take for you, those watching online? You say, Pastor, do you really believe that Jesus could help me with this? I do. I think that Jesus could help any drug addict. I believe that Jesus could help any drunkard. I believe that Jesus could help any liar. I believe that Jesus could help any adulterer. I believe Jesus can help any fornicator. You're addicted to porn. I think that Jesus could help you today with your addiction. Jesus is able and he can. The question is, do you really want to get help from him and move forward? We stay where we're at because we like what we do. You don't have to hit rock bottom to figure out you need help. Let the Lord help you. This world will try everything under its power. And I, we could go on hours of lessons of things. I, think, I believe there's a place for psychology. I believe there's a place for anxiety and depression pills. I think there's a place in certain settings. I'm not telling you to stop all those things today, okay? But I am telling you, people push. The first thing they do, you just push these drugs on somebody. Why don't we push this? It help a lot. We've put Jesus on the back burner when he's the only one who can make a difference in your life. 